Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, DICE's podcast where we dig into the topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain tech pros in a historically tight market, and much more. Our next guest is Sachin Gupta, who's CEO and co-founder of Hacker Earth. We've had Sachin on the show before, and he's always great at providing insights into the tech industry and how companies are hiring. A developer by trade, Sachin is passionate about the developer community and ensuring every developer is connected with the right opportunity. During this episode, we'll dig into the current must-have skills, how tech recruiting has changed in the post-pandemic world, the best ways to survive a technical interview, and much more. So let's listen in. Um, one of the things I want to talk to you about is that in the new report that you just put out, um, you dig into, I think the number is 40% of recruiters said that they didn't know when they were going to start hiring again in terms of developers out there and combined with the layoffs in tech and combined with sort of just this general unsettledness in the tech industry. I, I wanted to pick your brain because A, how do you see the market right now? And B, where do you think it's going? Like where, when do you think recruiters are going to start hiring again? Yeah. So I would echo what we were discussing earlier. You know, the market is um, kind of balanced in the sense big tech is not hiring. Tech heavy company industry is, is you know, very, very slow on hiring. Uh, startups have really paused on most of their hiring requirements. Uh, however, services, traditional enterprises, uh, you know, automotive, healthcare, they continue to hire. In fact, uh, we are seeing that a lot of our customers in the uh, traditional enterprise segment are now aggressively hiring because up until now they were shadowed by the crazy uh, salaries that you know big tech would end up offering. So they were not able to lure candidates, but now they have an opportunity to do so. Uh, but at an overall level, yes, tech hiring has reduced because these folks were hiring even back then when everyone else was also hiring. So there is a net reduction um, in hiring volume. Now, with regards to things coming back to to the earlier pace, I obviously don't have a crystal ball. I can only, uh, you know, brainstorm and, and share my perspective. But I think a few things need to happen and they need to happen segment by segment. Uh, first is obviously the the uh, the Fed saga, the interest rate saga that that needs to at some point pause uh, and not saying that inflation uh, shouldn't be addressed. It should be addressed. But until uh, hikes don't stop. Uh, at least they don't pause on hikes. The sentiment, at least on the Wall Street, will continue to be pessimistic. Uh, that drives your share prices. That drives the uh, appetite for risk for any public company, right? So it's it's kind of all uh, interrelated. But I think if if at least there's a pause, uh, analysts would bake in a reversal end of the year, and that should impact the sentiment and. Uh, your public company should go back to, if not aggressively hiring, at least some level of hiring. Um, in big tech, I think it's going to be a slow recovery uh, because uh, search engines and you know your social media advertising, all of that was through the roof 2021, 2022, first of 2022. They actually did end up over hiring. And now it's just about efficiency. So I think that recovery is probably, in my opinion, going to be the slowest. Uh, and then we have that other segment of tech startups. Uh, there are tons of companies out there sitting up, sitting on tons of cash, uh, having to justify uh, obnoxiously high valuations that they have, you know, uh, gotten during the the boom. They got to spend and they got to grow at some point in time, and that is directly tied to VC sentiment. Uh, so the moment one of the big VC firms comes out and says, "Okay, the nuclear winter is over." 
world is going back to normal, people will jump in. Uh, but then I think that's always also somewhere related to the macro trend. So I think those are the few things that need to happen before we see things going back. If I were to bet, if I were a betting man, I would bet on at least two more quarters of pain before things start easing out. That makes sense. I mean, with the the biggest tech companies, I mean, especially since during the pandemic, a lot of them like Meta and so on hired in such massive amounts. Do you think from here on out that they might try? I mean, obviously, again, none of us have a crystal ball, but do you think they might try to do more with less or just in the sense that they're not going to try to re-expand to where they were before, but now that they've sort of gotten this gospel of efficiency, just try to keep things running with smaller staffs? Or do you think it's just their nature to, to try to grow? This is just me. Uh, I, I, so take it, take it with a grain of salt. I think efficiency and frugality is uh, the fashion right now. So everybody's doing that. Uh, sentiment changes a year out. Uh, people are back to chasing growth. Uh, some of the folks who are laying off people in droves probably will be the first to uh, to forget all about it and go back to chasing growth because that's the nature of tech, right? It's It's cutting edge. It's evolving so fast. Um, I'm sure you must be following the whole generative AI saga. Every other day, there's a new tool that's coming. And, you know, we were in the similar position with cyber, with the crypto about three years back in terms of at least tech, right? So this trend is only going to, like, recurring trends of new tech coming in, disrupting the industries is not going to pause. Uh, it, and the cycles are only going to shorten. So they're all going to go back to growth hiring, in my opinion, uh, in the future. I noticed, I mean, in terms of the reports breakdown of, of top skills for developers, um, one thing that seemed like a lot of developers were interested in was blockchain in terms of what you were just saying about crypto and so on. And I mean, even though there's been all that turbulence in the crypto market, it still seems that blockchain is big. Um, is that because developers are that interested in smart contracting or like, what do you think's behind that? Yeah. So what we see uh, kind of a meltdown in the crypto industry is has only happened, let's say, in the last four, three to four months. Uh, and uh, the 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 change in the industry has largely been, I would what I would say, is a commer- at a commercial level. Uh, you know, FTX collapsed, uh, probably trading in crypto has reduced. Uh, bear in mind, a lot of these things were already in place from a tech point of view even before. It, it's not that that's where uh, cutting edge development was taking place. Yeah, of course, you had like, you know, 500 different NFTs coming in and like everybody doing their own coin. But that's a, a, a you know a repetitive process. Uh, there's no new tech innovation as such. There are companies who help you release your funds, and then it's more of a business uh, a growth that was taking place. I think from a tech point of view, despite all the noise uh, and the uncertainty in the long run whether cryptocurrency is going to be the future of of currency, the underlying blockchain technology has real business applications and implications. Uh, Obviously, blockchain gets attached to the crypto uh, ecosystem at large, but, you know, there are, like you mentioned, smart contracts and there are like tons and tons of real business applications that one can build out using that tech. And I think people in business, people in tech understand that. And that's where there is a keen interest in the dev ecosystem to build that out. Now, of course, if this interest doesn't translate into new businesses coming up, new problems being solved, and the technology actually getting adoption uh, in enterprises, then the interest may fade out um, in in about six to nine months. I do anticipate it to reduce. Uh, I don't expect it to go away because right now generative AI is hogging up all the attention uh, for everyone. So, 
Yeah. And I wanted to talk about that. I mean, in terms of, I mean, are you seeing a spike in interest in training and so on around machine learning and AI as a result of this? Like there's this sudden, because I mean, sometimes with these hypes, you don't really see developers that interested in the skills, despite all the headlines and everything. But in this case, I mean, are developers like really like saying, oh, I need to learn all like the underlying models and stuff like right now? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so the two, one is obviously what we are seeing out there in the industry based on our conversations with the developer communities and what, you know, we are seeing in, in even from our customers. Uh, but in just my personal opinion, uh, I think this is a foundational technology, uh, uh, maybe even akin to the internet revolution or the smartphone revolution in the, in the mobile space, because there's so much that can be built on top of it. Um, and a lot of developers uh, have realized it, like just in our team, uh, people are saying, I'm willing to pay for a GitHub Copilot or any other code generative AI on my own because I can clearly see how it can drive greater efficiency for me uh, as an individual. So this movement is, is going to galvanize software development uh, as an industry for sure. Uh, and people are jumping onto this bandwagon very, very quickly. How do, I mean, what advice would you give to developers who are interested in it, but don't really know where to start? I mean, what, what languages do you study? What tools do you try to adopt? I mean, cause it seems, you know, I mean, at least at this point, um, you know, you can interface with open AI, you know, and you can get instances from them and so on. But I mean, it, it, people just might not know where to start. I'm just curious what, what your advice would be to them. Yeah. So there are two, two parts to two ways to look at this whole uh, movement that's taking place. One is uh, the fundamental tech itself. Uh, so generative AI is largely based on lang uh, language learning models, LLMs, right? And uh, the open AIs of the world have, uh, though it seems like it erupted overnight, they've been at it for 10 years, almost. Uh, this is GPT-4. Uh, we've seen GPT-3. We've seen GPT-2. I don't think they did a release for GPT-1. Maybe did a private release. So there's a lot of tech that has been built over the years. And um, obviously, it's concentrated with few people who've been working on it. Now, if I'm a developer today who just wants to contribute or learn that core tech, it's not something that you can do overnight. Uh, right? You need to have deep expertise of data science. You should have very a lot of familiarity with machine learning models. You need to understand what... Uh, language uh, learning models look like uh, but the good thing in machine learning as in as a domain is uh, people do a lot of hit and trial they come up with uh, models they perfect those models and then almost everything gets open sourced so it's a very uh, unlike you know let's say software application development which people can do from scratch as long as you understand the language this is a uh, this is an industry where people do end up reusing a lot of good stuff that has been built so there are tons and tons of models out there so if you want to build the core tech it's a slow journey it's it's going to take time and i don't think a lot of developers would do that but if you want to quickly be able to use an llm uh, which is publicly available facebook has published llama openai has also published a few things then you just need to you know develop a machine learning expertise understand what how llms operate and more importantly identify a business context around which you want to apply uh, so chat gpt is still generic uh, it obviously goes through data across the web there are tons and tons of opportunities to feed and train these LLM, llms on a specific data 
so having access to data is also important. Like you could build a financial services application uh, because you have access to say financial data, right? So that's what a lot of developers would want to focus on. And the best way to do that is, you know, just like first, if you already have expertise in data science and machine learning, then just start dabbling with LLMs and start building out some small applications. But if you're new to data science and machine learning itself, then it's a slower journey because you first need to get comfortable with that. I wouldn't recommend somebody to directly jump into generative AI because the learning curve could be too steep. Yeah, no, it makes all the sense. And in the report, data science was was another thing that spiked. Is it spiking because of the relation to machine learning and everything else, or is that just a part of it? And there's there's other things that are drawing people to data science. Yeah, so not not just because of generative AI, data science as a technology has been something that uh, people have been excited about for almost half a decade or even longer now. Um, and uh, the few things that have taken place, you know, red data is readily available today. Tons and tons of data is readily available. Like I said, a lot of uh, models have been developed over a period of time, which are readily available. So for somebody to put together a machine learning system uh, is probably, uh, you know, it's it's not that too much work. You understand the problem context, you get the right access, you get the right data, you pick the right models, you train that, and, and you have a working solution. Go back uh, eight, 10 years, uh, and this was like, you had to do almost all of it on, on your own from scratch. So this, this is a larger trend because also because data science as, a tool, when I say tool, uh, you know, applying it as a tool to business is everywhere today. I don't see any company, any business today, uh, which is not from day one thinking about how data science can help me do my thing better, right? Whatever industry you are in, purely because so much data is being generated and it's very obvious, right? Like the more you can train your systems on the data that you're producing, the smarter your applications could get. And with this whole generative AI uh, revolution, expectations of consumers now would also be similar that, hey, we want systems to be uh, intelligent, right? So that's why the larger industry in this in this uh, segment. Do you think in terms of, I mean, these are all enormously complex disciplines, data science, machine learning, and so on. And so when you have companies, particularly larger companies that are trying to hire people who are specialized in these, I imagine in terms of everything from, you know, setting up the technical interview questions to, you know, at least trying to train like the first line recruiters and hiring managers to understand something about this so that they can try to evaluate people in, in a somewhat intelligent way. I imagine, I mean, at least some companies are going to have to really radically change their hiring processes and how they approach trying to ascertain whether people have the skills they need, right? I mean, are you seeing... Are companies changing like hiring processes and so on to kind of incorporate these things? Or I mean, how's what's that look like? Yeah, so uh, I would answer that uh, not just in context of the demand for, let's say, data science talent, uh, but in general, post-pandemic, some of the changes that have taken place in the recruiting process. And I'll tell you why. Uh, the thing about tech, like I was, talk, I was saying earlier, the horizon of innovation has shortened. Uh, you're going to see every five years something disruptive coming uh, to the four. Uh, so as an organization, you have to develop the muscle uh, to hire people on these new technologies 
uh, whether you have those capabilities in house or not and very quickly build that out experiment with it and see if that's something that you know makes sense for your business in the long run uh, once you have established once you put a stake in the ground saying hey this is what i'm going to do and i know for sure i think then it becomes easier because by that time you already have a few champions internally you know you kind of understand how to tap into uh, talent in that particular segment but doing that initial hiring can be challenging right so so this is irrespective of data science what i'm trying to say is this is a recruiting muscle that everybody has to develop now mm-hmm. post pandemic a few things have changed uh, and i'll just list them out one is the widespread acceptance of hiring from sources which probably were uh, which people would not look at earlier uh, what i mean by that is a lot of companies have been geofocused uh some of them have been degree or education focused uh, or background focused or and when i say geo focused i'm not just saying you know let's say you based in us and looking for looking to hire open to hiring remotely but even within us uh, you know we only go to these 15 regions which are which have been in proximity and we've been very comfortable doing that so those boundaries have been broken uh which is a great thing uh but obviously the challenge with that is now you have a much wider net to cast which means your sourcing goes up your screening challenges go up all of those things happen so um, that has changed so companies have uh, developed the capabilities to cast a wider net leverage unconventional sources be more open in remote even though companies are you know getting people to come back to office uh, i think what they have done in the process in the last 2 3 years is ended up opening up offices or satellite locations in different parts of the uh, of of you know wherever geography you're operating in so earlier if it was all concentrated in bay area now you have a little bit more widespread distribution uh, so how do you kind of spread out that's one the second is the increased focus on skills and that is an outflow or you know it stems from the fact that now you're getting people from unconventional sources so your traditional signals of competency and skills are not reliable and between you and i i don't think they ever were <laughs> but uh, you know it was still working for folks but now you have people coming in from boot camps right they have people come self taught developers in fact if you were to look at uh, stack overflow survey uh, i don't remember the numbers exactly but a large majority of developers are self taught whether they yeah. have educational degree or not they start teaching themselves coding pretty early uh, right so you want to be able to focus on skills as an employer and you want to be able to do that in a repeatable measurable and for larger companies in an unbiased way yeah. that's where the sophistication in terms of screening has gone up people are using ai led tools uh, to screen candidates or match them right at top of the funnel then of course uh, assessments come into picture we are increasingly seeing companies ask for more specialized assessments so no more are they saying okay show me how somebody can write and i'll go algorithm or ads uh, you know fine they should have obviously basic programming skills but i'm looking for somebody who is comfortable with data or i'm looking with somebody who could potentially do something in generative ai so i need some proof point of that right uh, so that this greater sophistication in screening and then you know just the um, uh, the process of onboarding people remotely like one of the things uh, in interviews what used to happen was uh, earlier particularly in big tech they would try and fly out the candidate to their campus uh, uh, and have like two days of back to back six interviews yeah. now the issue with this was uh, a scheduling itself like i've heard i've know people who have cleared their first round of screening but their on site as they call it is like two months out 
right? It's, it's, it's such a big disconnect, right? Like, why do you want to wait for so long? Now that's changed. People are more comfortable doing online interviews. They don't want to pack everything into two, two days, which means candidates are also getting better feedback. Now, if you're getting somebody at your campus for two days, you can afford to do all the interviews and not give them any feedback in that process and probably even after that. But now we, you've got your remote interviews. They're broken down, more spread out. There's greater focus on candidate experience, right? So those are some of the things that have made the whole process more uh, remote friendly, uh, more online, more scalable, um, and hopefully for the better because uh, we definitely are going to see, despite all the chatter around it, generative AI or AI in general is not going to kill jobs. It's it's only going to increase efficiency for software developers. So we will continue to see greater demand, greater need, and greater supply of talent. So we need to get efficient at recruiting. I've I've heard, been hearing that a lot from developers and hiring managers and so on. That there's this there's I mean obviously there's the fear that developer jobs are going to be stripped out as a result of AI. But a lot of people are saying that because so much of development work is creativity and intuition and things like that, that it's going to take away kind of lower level coding functions and kind of reserve, you know, allow people to, to reserve their time more for, um, I guess, the more creative functions, which is a really powerful idea um, in, in terms of all that. I mean, I, but I also kind of understand the fear that some developers have that, you know, that they're, you know, if somebody's a debugger or QA tester or something like that, or a QA engineer, that suddenly a lot of their jobs are going to be taken over by machines. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how that that pans out. Um, I guess the, the other thing too in the report that I thought was really fascinating, and this goes to what you were just saying in terms of qualifications and recruiters automating um, at least some of the hiring flow and so on, is that when you look at so many job postings for developers, you know, you see these these call outs for a BA. Um, you know, for, for a bachelor's degree or, or some sort of formal education. But at the same time, you know, you have Elon Musk on Twitter saying that he doesn't care if someone's in high school, if they have the AI skills, he'll hire them for Tesla. You have the, you know, the CEO of IBM saying, you know, that we also want to hire people we don't care about degrees anymore. Tim Cook at Apple is saying 30% of the non-retail staff, I think that's just off the top of my head, is is non-degreed and so on. So, but it seems like there's kind of a little bit of a dichotomy there between companies sort of wanting formal education or at least sort of maintaining that kind of legacy position on it. And then also saying, you know, we will hire you as long as you have the skills. And so for developers who might not have formal education, but definitely have the skills um, as they're going through this increasingly complex recruitment process that you were just describing and having to deal with automation and everything like that, what's how can they optimize their application and the resume and what they do and how they present themselves to kind of get past all that and get in front of a hiring manager and actually show their skills. I and mean, what, do, what does it take for them to do that? Right, right. Uh, so I think that's a great point. Um, so first, let's talk about the, the this trend of we seeing all these big leaders, giant leaders coming out and saying that, hey, you know, we have, we don't really care about degree. And it's true. Uh, fundamentally, as an organizational philosophy, they don't. But by the time this philosophy becomes part of the process, it can take a humongous amount of time, uh, right? Like a change like this won't happen over a period of a few months. It's probably a multi-year thing. And I'll, and I'll explain why, right? Like if you look at a recruiter who has a task to close out five positions and fulfill their hiring manager team's hiring manager's requirement over the next 30 days, very naturally, Despite all the the larger focus that they have around diversity, around hiring from unconventional sources, they would still want to optimize for the problem 
on the at the hand at that point in mind right and that's that's the dichotomy or that's the challenge that people that will only go away over a period of time because they will very naturally resort to if certain channels have worked well for them in the past if they know that their hiring managers uh, tend to hire people who have certain backgrounds then at, at some point in time they're like okay we need to get the position closed so let's go ahead because then going and challenging the hiring manager changing the process while a lot of progressive companies are doing it it is a tedious and a time-consuming process i'm not saying change is not taking place but it's not taking place at the same pace as as which at which you know probably leaders are coming out and talking about it unless you're like elon musk then things happen <laughs> the next exactly. day itself. yeah yeah um, so yeah, so I think what the developers probably need to do is they need to make it easier for the recruiting teams to to build a strong case in front of hiring managers or even for hiring managers to to see that, okay, I, I see the person has enough demonstration of skills. Uh, they are talking about the projects. I've seen sometimes um, uh, really smart developers just putting in a couple of lines about what they did, right? And the challenge with that is um, someone else who hasn't really done it could also claim the same. And how do I, as a recruiter, really discern whether it is genuine or not? Uh, but if you, you know, if you're a smart person, you worked on that project, you can actually talk about it passionately. So I don't think developers. This is my just personal opinion. Developers should not shy away from talking about what they have done. Right? It's okay if your resume goes and becomes like three pages. That's fine. People actually look for that detail. So talk about the projects that you've done. Talk about uh, where you develop those skills. Right? Uh, what kind of skills you have developed today? Um, uh, there is a need for people to be learnable a much the, or rather i would say the urgency of the need is higher uh, you can't just be working on one tech and expect to be relevant for the next five years uh, earlier uh, people would uh, you know be in a technology for a decade now that time is gone i'm not saying stuff things stuff your resume with a lot of keywords that is actually a red alert but demonstrate through different projects or different work experiences that you have had experience and skills in these different tech right so what you don't have in terms of a degree or maybe formal education make up for it in terms of proof points of work that you have actually done and those skills that substantiated hackathons are a great way to demonstrate that wherever you won any online coding competitions talk about that any github contributions or open source contributions that's a big big plus for a lot of companies right so bring that to the fore uh, so create a journey create a story who i am uh, what skills i have and here's the evidence of why i have those skills uh, if you communicate that in a creative way uh, and in a passionate way i think you will stand out and then, I mean, certainly by the time you get to the technical test, then you can show your stuff. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask you is that, I mean, coding tests seem to be getting harder, at least from what I've been hearing from developers and people who are applying for jobs and so on. Um, you know, and, there, and there's all sorts of advice that goes flying around about how to prepare for them. Like, you know, go to this site, go to this site, et cetera. Like, you know, do these tests, you know, review what whatever company did five years ago, because that's the only thing that's been released online. What would your advice be? I mean, to developers who are, you know, they're, they're heading into a round of coding tests. They have no idea what to expect. They're obviously nervous. They're, they're going back to their college notes and reviewing everything. I mean, what do they do? <laughs> yeah, um, it can be pretty uh, daunting, uh, particularly for uh, people who are doing it for the first few times. Once you've been at it for a couple of times, you know, you, things do get a little easier. But yes, sitting on a computer, you have a timer running 60 minutes, 90 minutes, you see three coding questions in front of you and no matter how good you are at it, right? You That best idea may not strike to you at that point in time. So it, it is 
challenging. It's uh, it can be unnerving. But I think if you go in prepared, if you give yourself enough time uh, to be prepared for the coding test, you can get through it well. So preparation is the key. Uh, I I know personally people who start at least two to three months in advance. So they just spend two months brushing up their skills. Uh, and people may may complain that, hey, I'm not probably going to write that algorithm or build that data structure at work. So why are you testing me on that? And yes, companies have been slowly changing, moving on to real world tasks. So we are seeing a lot of companies now asking, this is great, but can I just ask the person to build out, let's say, a React application because that's what that's what they're going to do on their job. So if you have, so first thing is uh, canvas the opportunities and see which company re- uses what kind of assessments. Those who are relying largely on your typical algorithm uh, algorithm based questions, you do need to give yourselves a two month lead time to prepare for it. And and there is still a large set of companies that do so. It's inevitable. But then there is this another set of companies who are more focused on uh, on the job skills. Uh, they'll probably give you a small assignment. If you're a data scientist, uh, you know, you'll be asked to build out a few models and they will also give you more time, right? It's not just they expect you to do it in an hour. Uh, probably they'll give you two days and you'll probably end up spending two couple of hours doing it. So slightly higher time commitment, but then it's easier. Uh, I am to say less uh, intimidating because, you know, you're used to that workflow of doing those things. So understand that and prepare accordingly for both of uh, these uh, scenarios. Uh, preparation is the first point. The second is ask your recruiting team. And I've seen people often don't do that, uh, but recruiting teams and even hiring managers are very forthcoming in, in telling you what the assessment would entail. Not everybody, but the good ones are. So ask them, what would it entail? What I should be preparing for? I've seen recruiters sending uh, example assignments saying, hey, do these kind of things because you'll get something similar. So that uh, reduces the anxiety because now heading into the test, you know what exact or what kind of questions would be asked. So that's the other thing. Ask, talk about it. Uh, and the third piece would be, you know, uh, I would say just keep your calm. Uh, it's okay if you don't ace the first one, but you do a couple of them and, and you'll get better. Uh, and you can always give feedback to the employer. So if you feel uh, that, the assignment is unnecessarily hard, you can always go back and give feedback because sometimes companies are also figuring out their process, right? Like maybe a hiring manager wants to have the hardest test possible and I can understand why they would want it, but you know, you're not going to hire a person based on just 60 minute assessment. So, uh, I mean, that's one very big proof point, but it's not the only thing, right? So maybe providing that feedback will help you and help future candidates as well. But preparation is the key and asking about it upfront helps you just get ready for it. I imagine, I mean, employers also want to see your thought process. So even if you don't ace the question, as long as, you know, you show that you have the skills, you've worked through it and yeah, I mean, then then deal with that. And that's it, folks. As Sachin mentioned during our chat, the tech industry is experiencing a bit of turbulence at the moment. However, there's still a widespread hunger for technology professionals, especially those who have mastered key skills such as blockchain, data science, and machine learning. By keeping your skills up to date and becoming comfortable with organizations' hiring practices, you stand a good chance of landing a life-changing interview. Here are some other takeaways from our chat. First, some of the biggest of the big tech companies have laid off thousands of workers, and some tech startups are having trouble getting funding. Nonetheless, multiple organizations across a broad swath of industries continue to hire aggressively. Sachin believes that much of the tech industry will rebound as well once we're past all the turbulent events of the past few quarters, such as rising interest rates. Second, there's continuing interest among developers in cutting-edge technologies such as blockchain and machine learning. 
For example, even though the cryptocurrency industry has undergone some spectacular meltdowns over the past few months, there are still significant business applications to the blockchain, such as smart contracting. Staying aware of the latest, most cutting-edge tech can only benefit you. Third, depending on the roles you're applying for, chances are good you'll face a technical interview of some sort. While these technical interviews are potentially intimidating, it'll all be okay so long as you follow some basic steps. Take as much time as possible to prepare beforehand, including reviewing the fundamentals of your particular specialization. Also, hiring managers and recruiters might be more forthcoming than you think about the contents of a technical interview. Feel free to ask them about what any assessment will actually include in terms of concepts and tools. We covered a whole lot of other topics, of course, so give the interview a re-listen if there was something you missed. We'll see you next time. And remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles, and for technologists, the best place to grow your tech career.